Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, an armistice was signed between the Allied forces and Kaiser's Germany, marking the end, although it was not totally the end to fighting and death and destruction, of World War I, the war to end all wars. And then after World War II, following a congressional uh, resolution, Dwight Eisenhower renamed Armistice Day as Veterans Day, also on November 11th. Today, tomorrow, we celebrate Veterans Day, and we have some observations to share. We are going to reference the guest column in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette by Pat Hines, and we are going to talk to State Representative Natalie Blay, who has a number of bills pending and that she is championing to help veterans. We're also going to discuss the bill unveiled by Governor Healy yesterday, characterized in the headline in today's Republican newspaper, sweeping bill to expand benefits for veterans. State Representative Natalie Blay, we are so pleased you can be with us on this Veterans Day celebration and observation. And we know that you had family members, have family members who are veterans, and I would like it if you would share your observations and uh, memories as we celebrate Veterans Day today. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. My uh, So my dad was a Marine veteran. My brother, Matt, he's my younger brother by just over a year, uh, went into the Marines you know, immediately out of high school. You know, I went to college. He went to the Marines. He's um, served his entire career uh, in the military and recently retired. And uh, you know, Veterans Day is an important day for us to remember those who have been asked to serve uh, in times of war in our country uh, in a variety of different ways, whether here uh, in our nation or you know across the globe. Uh, hopefully, as we talked about before we came on, endeavoring towards peace, um, and today is a, it is an important day. In addition to Memorial Day, to to honor those who have who have given the ultra, ultimate sacrifice. Um, but you know, today is a day to honor veterans who have served. Uh, I count myself lucky that my family members did make it through. Uh, there are many people who were not so lucky, uh, and there. And I think it is also important to recognize the family members who also sacrifice um, by way of allowing their loved ones to serve in the military um, because it is a true sacrifice uh, every single day. And with people worrying about their how they're doing, how their loved ones are doing, wherever they are as they serve, serve our country. Um, and so this is an important uh, day to, to give recognition to, to that service. And, and hopefully we... <laughs> We endeavor towards peace so that this sort of uh, service is, is not necessary. That's a prayer that we can all join in. Uh, Representative Blay, uh, I would like to turn to some practical matters and the advocacy that you are engaged in 
for insuring benefits to veterans, a couple of bills that you have been championing. Could you tell our listeners about them, please? Yeah, there's there's no doubt that, you know, when you make the decision to uh, join the military in our country and you serve and you come back to our communities, that it is a very difficult transition. Um, and hopefully people are taking the time to thank veterans for serving. Uh, but currently there are over 300,000 veterans residing in the Commonwealth, and they do utilize benefits and services that are provided by what, what are referred to as veteran service officers. So those are VSOs. And VSOs are in every city and town. They operate in every city and town in Massachusetts per Massachusetts state law. And they deliver services uh, to eligible veterans and their dependents, uh, including outreach services to educate on benefits and services. Uh, they offer referral to programs and services. Um, they will also take applications for benefits, and, and they do help veterans access employment assistance through career centers. Um, so Senator Comerford and I did introduce a bill eight, on the House side, it's H3488, is an act providing for timely reimbursement of cities and towns for veterans' benefits because we recognize that these services are crucial for providing veterans with a way of transitioning back into civilian life. We know that veterans are better served when they can work within their community with community members and veteran service officers truly understand the challenges and the solutions available to veterans. Um, but the way that the law is currently written, communities and veteran service officers have to wait a whole year to be reimbursed for the services that are provided to veterans. And this, you know, <laughs> poses a, a financial burden for communities who are trying to do everything that they can to serve these community members. Uh, and having to wait so long really puts a financial strain on them. So this bill requires that the reimbursement for these important services, these necessary services, uh, are, should be dispersed within six months of being certified by the commissioner of the Department of Veteran Services. And Natalie Blaze. VSOs. Yeah. I just want to let our listeners know, th this is House Bill 3488, is that correct? On the House side, yes. And I'm sorry, I don't have Senator Comerford as the, the Senate sponsor. I don't have the Senate bill number, but uh, she's been a tremendous partner in this effort. Well, the, the title is clear, an act providing for timely reimbursement of cities and towns for veterans' benefits. Uh, the second bill, uh, an act to support veteran-owned businesses. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so like so many great pieces of legislation, this was brought to me by a constituent. Uh, this constituent uh, is both a veteran and a small business owner. He co-owns a small business with another veteran, and they were dismayed to see that they did not qualify for LLC fee waivers in Massachusetts. Um, so we wanted to ensure that we could allow the state to waive LLC fees, you know, both registration fees and annual fees for veterans because it is for veteran-owned businesses. Uh, it is difficult to transition after working in a military setting, and starting a business in the Commonwealth can be a great way to move forward. 
Um, so this bill not only supports our veterans, but also stimulates the economy uh, and encourages those over 300,000 veterans living here in Massachusetts uh, to build their own business and thrive. You use the uh, shorthand LLC, Limited Liability Corporations, the waiver of those fees, and those are the uh, fees to the Secretary of State that businesses have to pay to, well, do business. And if you're not a partnership, you are probably an LLC in Massachusetts. We are speaking with State Representative Natalie Blay, who is the representative for the 1st Franklin District, a very large district of 511 square miles. She has been in the legislature as the representative since 2019. The district includes, I think I can read this quickly, Asheville, Buckland, Chester, Chesterfield, Conway, Cummington, Deerfield, Goshen, Huntington, Leverett, Middlefield, Montague, Plainfield, Shelburne, Shutesbury, Sunderland, Waitley, Williamsburg, and Worthington. Wow. That was impressive. No, that... That's the that's the old district. <laughs> oh, it's the old. I got it, and I got it wrong. Oh no! Oh God! Oh, I'm so sorry. I was so, <laughs> so proud. Sorry. I was going to be able to do it. Oh goodness gracious! Okay, I was, was going to pin a medal on his chest. Okay, for, you know, okay. Veterans Day. Okay. Cor- cor- correct, correct me. Rep- I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to have to say that. Oh, I'm, and I am too. But okay. But so, you know what? Before we go on, uh, uh, Representative Blay, I'd like to. Uh, this is Buzz, and I'd like to get serious. For a minute, talking about the bill and talking about the recognitions, um, what's often lost is that um, there has been, since 2019, an annual request coming out of the House, particularly Representative Mickey Sherrill of New Jersey, to uh, make June 12th a recognition of Women's Armed Services Day. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's in order to recognize the disparities in care and recognition and benefits for women who are in the armed services and women veterans uh, who somehow get deprived of the same level of recognition that their male con- counterparts do. And it's particularly important. The reason why I really want to emphasize it right now, given Senator Tommy uh, Tuberville's uh, blocking uh, over 300 military commissions because the military has the audacity to provide health care to women, including reproductive uh, health care. Uh, I just want to know your thoughts about that disparity between people like your father and brother who honorably serve and the women who often go unrecognized. Mm. No, it's a, it's a great initiative that I, I certainly would support at the federal level. Um, and I, all veterans, there, there are such barriers to receiving services, uh, but women are increasing in number in the military and certainly ensuring that the services that are, are specific to them um, are, are provided is, is a really important thing to be doing going forward. Uh, so I, I absolutely support that effort and to ensure that every veteran, uh, no matter you know, where you come from or who you are, <laughs> receives the services that they need once their, their services have ended. Representative Natalie Blay, uh, I would like to uh, ask you if you can share with us uh, uh, about the bill that uh, is obviously consistent and would expand upon the veterans' benefits that you are sponsoring and have sponsored uh, in the House, uh, including the Act to Support Veterans-Owned Businesses, which I understand, correct me if I'm wrong since I got the towns wrong, but not that wrong. I mean, they're mostly right, right? <laughs> the only one that matters, Ashfield, I'm you so got sorry. right. 
<laughs> yeah, I am too. I was, I was so, so, I was really psyched for doing. You were so good. It. You were like, you were like the the people that talk at the end of a card. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I, I think that's meant in a positive kind of way. <laughs> the problem is they they were trying to promote Chevy, but they said Ford. That's what the problem. is. So yesterday, this is the headline in today's Republican. Uh, Healy unveils sweeping bill to expand benefits for veterans. Let me read two sentences. As Veterans Day approaches, Governor Moore Healy unveiled a new legislative package to expand benefits, modernize services, and promote inclusivity for the Commonwealth's veterans. Uh, this uh, uh, bringing f- f- uh, to our uh, attention and giving due recognition to Veteran Services Secretary John Santiago. The bill is dubbed the HERO Act. And it includes reimbursing veterans for outpatient behavioral health providers, which sounds very much like the bill that you have been promoting. Uh, Increased tax credits for uh, small businesses also sounds very much like the bill you have been promoting. Expand the scope of Veterans Equality Review Board to include discharges. Not quite sure how the state does that, but apparently there is some state overlap with the federal government in determining those discharges and looking at how PTSD uh, might affect those discharges and some other pieces as well. Is this uh, new for the state in terms of saying this is a real priority? Uh, I understand it's done and appropriately done uh, in anticipation of Veterans Day, but it does seem to me that it is a sea change for the state and saying this is a priority for us legislatively and financially. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it. I think that it is. I think that you know, this governor and this lieutenant governor uh, have really taken several significant steps to address really big issues here in the Commonwealth. And this package that would help veterans here in Massachusetts is certainly another example of that. Uh, I will say I, I know that Lieutenant Governor Gibbs Kim Driscoll has talked about her family's history of service. Uh, John Santiago, the current secretary, served alongside me in the House. Uh, We both came in during the same year. We could not ask for a better person to be leading that agency. And, And the benefit of the governor introducing something like this is that the legislature can then move and incorporate legislation like the ones we've talked about this morning, H3487 and H3488, to try to massage that bill, the legislation that the governor has introduced to reflect some of the legislative uh, initiatives that members across the Commonwealth have introduced, have had a hearing uh, that we can just sort of make that package a little bit stronger to ensure that veterans across the Commonwealth are being to the, to the very best that we possibly can. We are speaking with State Representative Natalie Blade, representative from the 1st Franklin District. We're going to do all the towns as soon as we come back. I promise <laughs> we're going to get them all right. And then we are going to turn seriously to the guest column in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Let's Restore Armistice Day, a day for peace. And we'll hear from Professor Buzz Eisenberg on that and have the representative's observations as well right after this. Like a lizard on a window pane. The man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information and the Arts. Let's experience fitness together. Hi, this is Jessica. And at Fitness Together, we offer personal trainers and customized workouts either in studio or virtually. Located in Northampton and Amherst, we're here to help you reach your goals, be it weight loss, recovery and rehab, improving health, or simply living well. Getting fit, you'll have the energy to do what you love. Visit us at Fitness Together, Amherst, or Northampton and become a part of our community today. Fitness Together, your journey to wellness starts with us. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone, two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build SolarRite and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Natalie Blay, who is the representative for the 1st Franklin District. And I proudly, in the previous segment, announced all of the municipalities she represents and, how to put this, blew it by not recognizing the change in the district. I think, uh, Representative Blay, I think he... He announced the 13 colonies. I think that's what he did. <laughs> want to tell us Want to tell us for real the municipalities sure, you sure. represent? Okay. Yes. yes. With redistricting, uh, the 1st Franklin District includes the western half of Franklin County. So, alphabetically, we have Asheville, Burniston, Buckland, Charlemont, Coleraine, Conway, Deerfield, Hawley, Heath, Leverett, Leiden, Monroe, Montague, Rose, Shelburne, Sunderland, Waitley, and recent five, six, seven and eight in Greenfield. And since we are talking about veterans and I do have the privilege of serving Greenfield, you know, half of Greenfield with representatives, I just want to recognize the veterans service officers located in Greenfield, right on Main Street. They do a phenomenal job. And if you are a veteran or a dependent in need of services, I just want to make sure to tie it back to them. They also do office hours throughout the Franklin County District, uh, and I often run into their their van and their people <laughs> throughout uh, the First Franklin District as they are working to meet people where they are, you know, just like me as a state representative. So I just want to make sure to shout out this incredible organization that is working in Greenfield for veterans. Thank you for that, Rep. Blake. Buzz, you want to help us understand Armistice Day? 
Well, I, I do, because I think it's important that we recognize that while we're celebrating uh, veterans, often there's that conflates into celebrating militarism. And it was, as you said, Bill, 11, 11, 18 at 11 a.m. that the truce, the armistice, was uh, signed, which mostly ended World War One. that one year later Woodrow Wilson uh, named Armistice Day as uh, he commemorated what had happened the year before. Um, it was in 1926 that Congress actually formally did this and created a ceremony which involved uh, uh, putting wreaths on the tombs of unnamed soldiers, not only in the United States but throughout Europe. And as you said, Bill, in 1954 on 11-11, the name was changed from Armistice Day to Veterans Day. My, uh, my take on this is we had one day that celebrated at least the aspiration of peace, Armistice Day, and we do have Memorial Day, which talks about people who made the ultimate sacrifice. I would say we should be celebrating not just those who were in uniform, but people, the Martin Luther Kings and the civil rights workers in Mississippi and all those other people who have died in the name of freedom, in aspiration of freedom. But uh, I think Armistice Day was a better take than Veterans Day because it, the aspiration of peace is so important. Um, what, what think you, Representative Blay? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, I think that we as a nation, we as a world, should be working towards peace. Um, until we get to that point, we do continue to have members who are serving our military. Um, and so, as you noted, we want to make sure that, that we are certainly honoring them, uh, giving an opportunity to allow family members and those who have lost loved ones to the opportunity, the space to be able to to remember uh, their service um, and their losses. Um, but yes, I think certainly that providing a space to ensure that we are thinking about peace, the importance of peace, and uh, across across the globe is, is certainly important, uh, especially given what we're seeing. Well, maybe right then now. what we should do is celebrate peace on the other 354 days of the year. <laughs> Well, that is a great point right there. It is something that we should all be working towards every single day. In, in this regard, I would like to note the column by Pat Hines in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. Uh, Pat is a board member of the Trap Rock Center for Peace and Justice and Weapons into Windmills. She is also a member of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And she said this, which I think is of local interest, to expand a bit on what Buzz said about the uh, initiation of Armistice Day. In 1926, the U.S. Congress declared November 11th as Armistice Day, a legal holiday, quote, to commemorate with thanksgiving and prayer and exercises designed to perpetuate peace through goodwill and mutual understanding between nations. Subsequently, President Calvin Coolidge, Northampton's own Calvin Coolidge, issued a proclamation, quote, inviting the people of the United States to observe the day in schools and churches with appropriate ceremonies of friendly relations with all other people. Armistice Day embodied a resolve for world peace. Something that I think is lost when we celebrate Veterans Day, we honor the veterans and I think somehow leave aside what the goal is, which is peace, an end to war. Especially these days, we should be recognizing just that. 
Rep. I could. Do I have? Do we have one more minute? We do, and it is reserved for you. <laughs> I just want to recognize the efforts of the Trap Rock Center for Peace and Justice and people like Pat Hines and the Interfaith Council of Franklin County. Uh, when you talk, Buzz, you just talked about looking for peace and, and highlighting the importance of peace every single day of the year. This is what they do. And the Young Peacemaker Program, the Young the Peacemaker Award that the Trap Rock Center and the Interfaith Council of Franklin County awards annually to honor uh, young people dedicated to peace and justice in their schools and communities is extraordinary. Uh, I've, I've had the honor of attending and recognizing these young people who are working in our communities towards peace and justice. And I just have to take a minute, since you've brought Pat Hines into the space, uh, to recognize the incredible work that they are doing to work with young people uh, towards this effort uh, for peace and justice. Representative Natalie Blay, representative from the 1st Franklin District, we are all going to uh, sing together all of the municipalities in her district in reverse alphabetical. No, we're not. Representative Way, thank you so very much for your time and your insights today. We really appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to have Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association and an educator in sh who is leading a strike in Massachusetts today. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A proposal for prescription drug price caps was introduced by Senate Democrats and is expected to be brought to the floor by Thanksgiving. The legislation would cap out-of-pocket costs for some popular name-brand medications at $25, and generic versions would be capped at zero, requiring insurers to cover the remainder of the medication costs. For the first time in 20 years, a Massachusetts governor has introduced a comprehensive and expansive legislative package dedicated to veteran welfare. The HERO Act was filed by Governor Maura Healey yesterday to increase benefits, modernize services, and promote inclusivity for Massachusetts veterans. The Holyoke Police Department, in collaboration with federal and state agencies, executed a successful operation as part of the Operation Safe Streets initiative on Wednesday. The operation targeted an alleged narcotics distribution center at 174 High Street, Apartment 311, in response to community concerns about open-air drug activities impacting local businesses. Four individuals were arrested on various charges related to drug trafficking, firearm possession, and resisting arrest. Residents who want to check out the new Williamsburg Public Safety Complex will have an opportunity tomorrow. A guided tour of the $5.3 million 11,000-square-foot building is being offered from noon until 2 p.m. The building inspector issued a certificate of occupancy to the town Thursday, and Fred Snyder, a general contractor from Forrest Construction, tells the Gazette his work will be done by the end of next week. Town Administrator Nick Kikamo said the police and fire departments are aiming for a January 1st move-in date. For today, will be mostly cloudy and milder, highs 50 to 54. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 30 to 34. And the outlook for Saturday, mostly sunny, highs in the mid and upper 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Inuit catch their own and hang it in the sun to dry. New Yorkers have it smoked on bagels over the Sunday Times. When you order salmon at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, it's Faroe Island salmon. You know where the Faroe Islands are, halfway between Iceland and Norway. The ocean waters are clean and Arctic cold. Try Paul and Elizabeth's Faroe Island salmon with miso scallion butter. Order your salmon scampi. Add grilled salmon to any of Paul and Elizabeth's salads. There are so many ways to have salmon at Paul and Elizabeth's. Simply Safe Home Security, your safety is the only thing that matters. That's why you get 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Because every home deserves to be protected. Right now, get 50% off the whole home security system named the best of 2023 by U.S. News and World Report. Visit simplysafecom slash radio to save big today. Advanced Home Security, 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m., Ruth Ann Lundeberg, hypnotherapist, releases certificates on the Shop 30 store. If you're feeling anxious, want to stop smoking, eat less, or drink less, whatever's got you stuck, Ruth Ann can help you get unstuck. Hypnosis has been around for thousands of years because it works. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Ruth Ann Lundeberg, hypnotherapist. Available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. And this is our Your State You segment with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, who has with him and us today a very special guest who is really an important player in a really important uh, event that is ongoing in Massachusetts today. Max, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Bill. I have a great guest. I wanted to very quickly mention something important, which is that there's an ongoing effort to gather signatures for uh, the MCAS ballot initiative, that is to end the high stakes testing, to use of the MCAS as a determinant of who gets a diploma. Many of we've talked about that on the show several times, and I'm glad to note that we have now 120,000 signatures gathered. That's more even than Uber and Lyft gathered for their ballot initiative. So I'm really pleased that um, how popular this initiative is and we're going to have far more than enough to have them certified and so that we will be on the ballot in November of 2024. So that's the big news of the week in terms of gathering MCAS signatures. There's also, though, um, something else big going on, um, and I'm really glad to have Julian DeGloria, who is the first vice president of the Andover Education Association and an eighth grade social studies teacher in Andover on with us. Good morning, Julian. Morning, Max. Great to be here. So, um, Julian is uh, now on strike, and the Andover Education Association took a vote last night. Is that correct? And how did that go? Yep, we took a vote. We had um, roughly 95% of our membership 
uh, enthusiastically voted to uh, to take this action. And I say enthusiastically, um, none of us are happy about the idea of being away from our students, but enthusiastically because we believe that we're at a point where we have no other choice um, but to do this uh, both, you know, for our, our ourselves as educators, for the schools and, and for the kids. And I think um, if you were to, you know, check out our, our website, andovereducators.org or any of our social media that's related to the Andover Education Association, um, there's a lot of data there on, on essentially the case that we're making for why this is an essential move. So tell me, though, um, you voted last night, but how long has bargaining been been going on in Andover? Because obviously at a certain point you felt like it was that the bargaining was not producing anything acceptable to the members. How long has this been going on for? Uh, well, to be flipping, Max, too long. Um, but obviously um, it's this is uh, we've been bargaining with them in this contract cycle since uh, since January. We've had 27 negotiation sessions. But a lot of the tenor of, of um, the negotiation sessions and the reality of um, what we're facing has been sort of in place and in play um, for several negotiation cycles now, mainly sort of dating back to um, the pandemic. Um, we basically had, uh, you know, uh, schools obviously in Massachusetts were shut down in uh, March of 2020. Um, from then on, we had actually, we were in a negotiation cycle to negotiate a successor contract at that time. Schools got shut down. We then entered into like emergency COVID negotiations because we were talking about remote classrooms and things like that. Um, that kind of ended in an impasse in the, the following fall, winter. And then we had to resume our successor negotiations. So this is you know, normally you think a three-year contract, it's like you bargain every three years. Um, but if you're dealing with the Andover School Committee, um, a negotiation generally goes for two years. Um, the year, the final year of your contract, then going into, a, you know, an expired year without a contract. And then by the end of that year, you get your three-year deal. But then you're back trying to negotiate again in 18 months. So um, we have been negotiating right now since January, 27 sessions. But the uh, the reality is that it has been longer than that as far as uh, what we're up against. So we're speaking with Julian DeGloria, who is the first vice president of the Andover Education Association, which last night voted to go on strike and is on strike as of today. It's worth noting that in Andover, the schools were supposed to be open, even though most schools in the state are closed in honor of Veterans Day, which is tomorrow. But Andover is one of very few places where um, school, you know, offices and schools uh, were intended to be open. But of course, now that there's a strike, the schools were closed. So here's what I'm hearing. Nine months of negotiations, and that's just for this agreement. That's a long time. What are the issues that the Andover Education Association is advocating for? What is what is so radical or so difficult um, that uh, that the 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 AEA, as it's called, is advocating for that is um, that the school committee is not willing to negotiate on? Well, you know, there's sort of a laundry list of issues. And like anything, we recognize that this is a negotiation, right? Um, it's not a hostage situation. Uh, we are not sort of saying you must give us everything we want. It's supposed to be a back and forth good faith negotiation. And we're we've been at the table for nine months, as you said, in good faith. Um, so the I would say the sort of real big ticket items as far as what matters the most to us and frankly apparently matters the most to them maybe for different reasons uh 
first and foremost would be our instructional assistants, sometimes called paraprofessionals, sometimes called ESPs. Our starting salary for an instructional assistant in Andover is $25,000 a year. Uh, $25,000, that's a full-time job, right? Yeah, it's a full-time job. Okay. I mean, these folks are working as, as many days as a classroom teacher is. Um, you know, obviously we have some part-time staff as well, but the, the majority of the instructional assistants are full-time. $25,000 uh, $25, a year starting. So, I mean, you were talking less than what you could make as an Amazon delivery driver, as a, uh, as a Dunkin' Donuts, um, as a Dunkin' Donuts worker. And I don't say that to disparage anyone or their work. The reality though, is that what these folks are charged with is working with our highest need, most vulnerable students. So, um, these folks are basically on a daily basis, many of them, not all of them, but many of them um, are working with students who have, you know, severe disabilities who need, um, you know, one on one assistance all day long with basic, basic um, functioning, right? Um, everything from, you know, toileting to just, you know, navigating the school building. Yeah. And what's happening is, like I said, the, the newcomers, the, the starting salary is $25,000 a year. Um, the veterans, if you're like a 20-year veteran in Andover in this role, you're making $38,000 a year. Okay, so, so Julian, let me interrupt for a second. Sure. 25, I know is not a living wage for mm -hmm. a person in Andover, a very wealthy mm -hmm. community. I assume 38, the top step, the top mm -hmm. level is also not. Is that correct? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, the sort of data off the top of my head here, and I... Uh, I, I could be off by four or five thousand dollars, but if you know, childcare, a year's worth of childcare in Essex County is probably going to cost you in excess of twenty thousand dollars a year. So, if you're, I think I want to say that um, you know, an MIT study came out that said to uh, you know, a living wage in Essex County, I believe, for a single individual just to be able to afford housing yeah. um, and food is, uh, it's, it, I want to say, the mid forties, forty six, forty seven thousand yeah. dollars a year. Um, so we're basically talking about folks who are doing really difficult work, um, and they're being paid poverty wages. And the, the real problem here, um, I mean, at the root, we can't retain new staff. So we have a okay. revolving door, um, on, at the bottom, which then puts, you know, an, an incredible amount of pressure on those that are veterans that have been here for a long time. Um, and you can imagine, you know, if you have a classroom with students with high need like this, and you're short staffed, you know, that really, really, really is um, difficult for our folks, but it's also difficult for the kids. They are, you know, basically, um, there's a lack of uh, consistency. There's a lack of predictability in their environment. Um, and we've been bringing this to the attention of the school committee. And the most, uh, yeah. one of the most unconscionable aspects of, of this reality in Andover is that when they can't find people and there's, I mean, we have available positions right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's laughable. We're getting emails from principals saying, Hey, does anyone in the building know anyone who might be interested in this work? I mean, they're trying to have us do the recruiting for them. Uh, what's, what's really unconscionable here is that. So Julian, let me just interrupt yeah. for a second. I just sure. want to make sure everyone knows we're talking to Julian De Gloria, first vice president of the Andover education association. And that union, that local of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, voted to go on strike last night and is currently, as of today, on strike because Andover actually uh, does not honor the Friday before Veterans Day. And so officially there was supposed to be school, but school has been canceled. We just have a short time, uh, Julian, so if you could just highlight some of the other issues. So we've heard that a big part of this fight is, a contract fight, is to try to achieve something close to the living wages for paraprofessionals, instructional assistants, um, I will note that it is largely women, 
um, in those positions and frankly throughout our union. But please just quickly in a minute or so, just highlight a few of the other issues that have really been at top of mind of the Andover educators. So as I was saying with the instructional assistance, um, the people that are really most affected by that are the students themselves. And that also connects to another major issue for us, which is elementary lunch and recess time. Um, these kids are not getting enough time uh, to play outside. And every bit of research, whether it's from the CDC or whether it's educational think tank says that more time at play for younger learners in, in, um, increases educational outcomes. So we want to make sure that our kids who are more dysregulated than ever in the wake of the pandemic, who are dealing with more uh, anxiety issues than ever, are getting what they need. We want our elementary teachers to stop being pulled from their preps to do data analysis because we're cramming more standardized testing down their throats and the throats of kids. It's not just the MCAS. This is like, you know, district imposed testing. Last but not least, um, we want modern parental leave policies. We want people in Andover, if they need to be able to use their sick time for a sick child or a sick spouse, uh, they should be able to use that time. And basically that's why we're doing this. It's for our kids and it's for our families. Great. Thank you, Julian. We'll, Julian, hopefully Julian, you'll come and, back on. Julian and, and Max, this. before you go, in 15 yeah. seconds, what happens next? Julian. With the strike. What happens next? Yeah. This this ends when the school committee comes to the table and set, makes a fair offer. We're ready to bargain right now. We're ready to bargain all weekend. We want to be back in school with our kids, but the school committee has the power to end it as soon as they decide that they want to do what's right. Thank you so much, Julian. Thank we, you all. We have been speaking with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Julian DeGloria, the first vice president of the Andover Education Association. Good luck, Julian. Thank you very much. We'll need it. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop person you're sleeping with. You know things about them that maybe you shouldn't know. Like, they got up last night at 3 and went down to the kitchen. How do you know? You have one of those mattresses that, well, let's just say you know things you really don't need to know. Sleep on a Theralux mattress from Talon Furniture. Wait, Theralux? What happened? All Talon Furniture ever talks about is therapeutic mattresses. Well, Theralux is simply Therapeutic's high-end mattress. What makes it high-end? It's a cooling mattress. If you're not sure what cooling mattresses are, we'll show you. A Theralux mattress has a 20-year warranty and a really high coil count, which means if the person you're sleeping with is tossing and turning, 
or gets up at 3 a.m., you won't even know. And that's the way a good night's sleep ought to go, right? Therapeutic, and now Theralux. Come to Talon Furniture, just down the hill from Amherst College. Just don't come at 3 a.m. We'll be sound asleep. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. And this is Artbeat. Betsy Stone is in for Donabel Cassis, and Betsy has with her and us today a very special guest. Let me turn the microphone over to you, Betsy Stone. Thank you, Bill. Um, my guest today is Richard Roy. He is a master artist, um, and he's showing currently, uh, he has a retrospective of his work at Art for the Soul Gallery in Springfield. It's in the old classical high school building on State Street. It'll be up till the end of December. Richard uh, specializes in metal engraving, uh, for which he has a worldwide reputation. He's also a sculptor and a painter, and it's mostly his paintings that are at the gallery. They're beautiful. Landscapes, still lives, um, absolutely gorgeous. The exhibit is called Journey Through the Eyes of an Artist. Uh, he's been recognized by um, and had exhibits at the Wadsworth, Wadsworth Athenaeum and the Remington Museum, among others, and uh, has been a 30-year member of the Connecticut Academy of Fine Arts. Richard, I'm, I think our listeners would like to hear about your journey toward becoming an artist. How did you start, and how did yeah. it go for you? Well, it's, it started uh, my life when I got not really involved, but uh, became passionate as a young man. Uh, you know, when I went to school, uh, between three and four, every Friday, there was the drawing class, and that was my favorite. And that's why I quit school when I was like 18 years old. I couldn't take it anymore. I just wanted to be an artist. Uh, so... Uh, this is where I started, and then uh, I just got lucky one day that a friend of mine in my street, when I live in Sherbrooke in Quebec, uh, this young man that uh, gifted was 16 years old, and he was painting, and I had never seen oil painting with brushes and little tube and linseed oil, and I, I just became wild about just that. I need it, and at that time, I had... Uh, uh, if you want to know the entire story, I would—I was a singer. I was always—I used to sing uh, for weddings and stuff because when I was like 10, 12 years old, I had a very good voice. And then with the money that I made, I bought myself a paint box. And that's how I started. When I was oh, that's a story. That's a wonderful story. I—I I, um, I, I hadn't heard that. That's—that's that's really great. Could you tell us um, where? Where were you living? Where, uh, I was living where, first of all, I was born in Sherbrooke in Quebec, Canada, right? Okay. Okay, uh -huh. so this is, where, this is where I was born. And then uh, from there, I came to the States here in 1961. Uh-huh. And, and um, in, meanwhile, I, I, love I, was, I had a band, I sang... I painted uh, no good paintings, by the, by the way, by back in them days. 
and I just bought myself the same outfit that um, Modigliani had in the Gerard Philippe's movie. So I had that, and I had a pencil in my pocket, and I was more trying to impress the girls uh, that I was an artist, but I was not back in them days. You know what I mean, right? I was just uh. struggling and to to not to make ends meet because <laughs> I live with my parents and and I was singing in clubs and but I was always involved in in the beauty of this world the sculpture painter and I was doing wood carving and then when I came to the states I got uh, tremendous lucky that Hartford as the Athenian uh, that museum that uh, and this is where I've learned really really how to paint is in the museum. Could you tell I us, Richard? I, I don't. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I actually do. No, no. Um, tell us what's at the Art for the Soul Gallery. Tell us what your paintings are. What the art is that we can go see today. Okay. So what I have uh, landscape. As a matter, I got like twenty-one paintings in there, and along with uh, Monique, my daughter, that's also a, a, a painter, and uh, so combined, Monique has three, four paintings. Uh, and then I have uh, portraits of an old man. I have uh, still life. Uh, I have paintings that dates back to the 80s. All painting that I kept here in my uh, my room, my studio, and I kept that. So with Tracy, and she was so sweet to give me the chance to put all my painting in that beautiful room that she has in the school down there. Betsy? I feel... I feel like I'm on a, on a journey with you um, when I'm looking at those paintings. You see paintings of Canada and Vermont. You see country roads and snow scenes and skies and waterfalls. It feels yeah. like a drive around New England and up to Canada and over to Cape Cod. Um, yeah. You must yeah. have done a lot of traveling. Um, how do you, what are you thinking when you're doing these paintings? Well, I most most painting was never except a few of them was painted on the spot like what they, today it's plein air. Uh, it, was, it was photograph, and f along with the photograph, when I paint or when I did these paintings, they, it was just like a dream and trying to really, really get the emotion and the feeling into the paint. Not so much uh, trying to recreate the scene, but just trying to paint what I saw and put my own hand on it, you know, my, my own feelings in that. And, uh, and this is what I'm a self-taught. I, I took some lessons uh, years, years ago. I was totally, totally disappointed because I wanted to paint pictures, realism, and it was, it was involved with all kinds of uh, different paintings. So I quit, and then I decided to uh, the best, places that I could learn was at the museum. Yes. Which are your favorite artists that you looked at at the Wadsworth? At the Wadsworth? Uh, mm -hmm. There was a few. There, there was a marvelous, marvelous Corot, but I haven't seen it in about 40 years. But it was uh, the name of the painting in French. It's un matin au bord de la Seine, which basically early morning to the, on the Seine with uh, there was a, a little man with the red hat in the little boat, the little brown boat, and uh, believe it or not, this is where I've learned really how to paint, because 
the emotion that I felt when I saw that painting and I saw the simplicity that Corot would, 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 would manage to block out and, and do stuff. You know, I can't, it's, it's inside, you know, it just hits you. So I decided I'm going to copy it. But you couldn't copy at the museum, so I took a picture while the guards were not there. And uh, I brought, uh, measured the painting and all that. And I have it in my studio, and uh, maybe I'll be buried with it one day. But uh, uh, that's souvenir of the And then oh. after that, it was Courbet. Courbet, the, the French painter that I'm sure that you've heard about. He's uh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he, and I can see the influence of Corot in your landscapes. He he did yeah. beautiful clouds. So do you. Well, We're speaking you. with Roy, uh, an artist um, painter who has an exhibit called Journey Through the Eyes of an Artist at Art for the Soul Gallery. It's up until the 30th of December. And the gallery is open three days a week till from 11 to 4. But you should check to make sure um, somebody's there. Um, uh, uh, before you visit, um, Richard, um, we're about to we're about to leave. So thank you very much. And thank you, Betsy. Your- thank you, Betsy Stone. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect. Certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. It seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Grab a hammer, lend a hand, build a better world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. pvhabitat.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI 8 is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And hello, welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. Um, I want to make an announcement about an important uh, event that's happening um, on the 12th. Uh, Northfield's 350th, uh, the commemoration of their 350th year as a town uh, has been a celebration in a lot of different ways. But uh, there's a very special presentation, The People versus the Pipeline. Um, and I just want to first read the lead-in from the press release that uh, those organizing this celebration uh, uh, issued. Anthropologist Margaret Mead once said that, quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that has ever changed the world, is Margaret Mead's quote. In keeping with her spirit, the Northfield Oral History Project of the 350th Anniversary Program of 2023 will present a multimedia production called The People Versus the Pipeline. It's going to be on Sunday, this Sunday, November 12th, at 105 Main Street in Northfield 
at 6.30. That event is free. There's plenty of on-site parking. And the purpose of presenting the People versus Pipeline is not just for people from Northfield. It's a story of the diverse strategies that were employed by the activists that uh, between 2014 and 2016 that eventually uh, many believe is the reason why Kinder Morgan, uh, the company of Houston, Texas, that wanted to uh, erect a uh, huge pipeline uh, with destructive consequence across our neighborhoods here in Western Massachusetts. Uh, fortunately, that project never went forward. It was abandoned, and to celebrate the abandonment of it and to celebrate our own activism. Again, Sunday, November 12th, 105 Main Street in Northfield at 6.30. The event is free. It's an important event, the people versus the pipeline. It's a living memorial to what we all can do by paying attention to what's going on in our in our neighborhoods. Meanwhile, speaking of our neighborhoods, we have a really interesting guest in studio this morning. His name is Nick Simmons. Hello, Nick. Good day. Thanks for having me. Well, it is our pleasure. It's our pleasure for a variety of reasons. Number one, a thank you. A thank you for being a middle and high, and, uh, high school teacher for 23 years, uh, teaching economics and personal finance and business law to uh, our future. Um, it's, uh, I called it uh, earlier, the most honorable of professions possible to me is to educate our children. And I want to thank you for what you do every day. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And so you grew up in Pioneer Valley, right here. Uh, you went to school. You studied economics at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and went on and got a master's in instructional technology from Westfield. And you studied at St. Joe's. And um, you have a wife. You have your own family. But you also created a business that's so unique. Um, and I wanted to have you on the air and talk about Hadley Millworks. People can find out about it. You can even, if you're at a desk right now, call it up, call up the webpage. Hadley Millworks is one word. And so Nick Simmons, tell us about Hadley Millworks and how you got involved in it. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I used to uh, primarily heat with wood and I was one of those guys that drove around on an old pickup truck with a with a chainsaw and I'd see a log on the side of the road and knock on people's doors and be like, oh, you mind if I take that wood? And most of the time they were like, oh, sure, because it was, you know, a burden for them. And uh, I'd come across these really nice logs once in a while and I thought, you know, is there something else that could be done with these logs? Um, and so a buddy of mine, a uh, good friend, Damon, he helped me stand this one big oak log up on its up on its top. So it was, you know, sitting like a pillar. And we took my little chainsaw and cut a piece and we just fell in love with the grain. Um, and we were we were out there for you know hour and a half just you know cutting this log, and uh, and then like in the following months I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole of a uh, thing that's called chainsaw milling, and it's basically this bracket system that hooks up to a chainsaw and allows you to shave one piece of wood off of the log at a time. Um, those those pieces of woods are called slabs. Um, so, of course, my little dinky chainsaw, I wasn't going to cut it, so I had to buy the, the biggest chainsaw that they have, uh, and it's, you know, had a 52-inch bar on it. Sort of, 52 inches? Yeah, it was brutal. It was, I don't know, it was something about it. It was like, it was really addicting to just go out in nature, find a tree that was already down, 
uh, bucket so that it was it could be milled and you have to bring all your tools with you and set this thing up and it was just something like something about it almost being like a you know a a pioneer or something you know just out in nature by yourself listening to music with a headphone or something um but it, it's 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 heavy work it really is um chainsaw milling so i did i did that for about i would say two years probably about two thousand slabs under my my belt and i was doing this, this is before i have a kid and i just want to interrupt you for one minute are you felling trees to make these slabs? No. So I I do what's uh, the buzzword, uh, upcycle. So um, tree services. Can't believe you said buzzword. <laughs> well, at this point, tree services, um, I make deals with them to bring me trees. Because a, a lot of trees, what happens is um, they just got, they just got uh, they're brought to chippers. And they get chipped up for mulch. Um, the smaller stuff sometimes goes to wood processors. So I get in touch with tree services and uh, I'll pay for like a delivery charge. And sometimes I have to pay a little bit more depending on the kind of wood, like if it's a cherry or black walnut. Um, so these are these are urban trees. So I'm considered what's called like an urban logger. Um, my father-in-law also helped me build a uh, big uh, log trailer. So it's this big car trailer with a big arch on the back that has a winch so I can pick up one log at a time. It's not the most economical way of getting the log. It takes me a, a good part of an afternoon to put a 6,000-pound log on there. So, Nick Simmons, you're basically repurposing uh, timber that has already been felled and is going to a chipper, right? You're, you're going to use something that uh, you're not killing another tree. You're taking a tree that's already been killed, and you're going to use that wood, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mill it. So I mill everything from like small charcuterie boards. At this point, I have a, a big bandsaw mill. Um, I, I mill everything from small charcuterie board sizes to giant 16-foot, 4-foot wide bar tops. Wow. And um, I dry these pieces of wood. It's kind of a, a long process. After you mill it, you uh, have to stack and sticker it. Stickering is when you put little pieces of wood in between it so it can dry evenly. Then you you know, that's stacked about 10 feet tall. Then I put big sheets of metal and big rocks on there, and they slowly dry. They slowly air dry. And then I built two solar kilns. So these are like big green insulated greenhouses. And uh, in the summer, they get about to 130 degrees. Wow. So after about a year or a year and a half, depending on how thick the slab is, I move those into the kiln, um, and then it really drives them out to get them to about 8%. Uh, moisture level, which is very dry. Um, and then I, I sell those pieces of wood to customers that want to make tables, shakuri boards, bar tops, coffee tables, um, wedding signs, uh, benches, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm looking at your prices. If you go to um, Nick Simmons's uh, website, uh, which is Hadley Millworks, um, and it, all one word, and you can see prices there. It, it's not a lot of money for what sounds like a tremendous amount of work in time and an investment on your part. Um, now, you teach economics. I you do. You teach business law. I do. Uh, but there isn't a lot of profit in what I'm looking at here. Yeah, so I, ha I have two business models. So one is I do like four or five of these huge event sales. So my, my father-in-law has an industrial property in Hadley on 47. So that's where I do my milling. So I, I do these event sales where we bring out uh, we have a couple tractors. We bring out about a thousand pieces of wood and lay them out. And I spend a fair amount on advertising and people drive from all over. I had a guy drive from six and a half hours away at one point. 
Um, so that's one business model. So I sell that stuff cheaply, and the idea is to to make it a low price so that you know the 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 barrier is lower, so all kinds of you know people can get into this. And if I sell a lot, I can still make enough to cover my costs and have some profit. Then my other business model is I have a store that's open in Hadley by appointment. Um, and that that's at my house, but it's good size. It's 2,300 square feet. Mm-hmm. And I parlayed all the money I've made over the last couple of years into building that building. Um, and that's, that's now open by appointment. I want to talk, Nick Simmons, about the amount of work that goes into this. I know I've, I'm a bit of a chainsaw. I don't have a 52-inch chainsaw. I think mine is 16 inches now. I once had one that was 21 inches. But um, always there's a ton of sanding you have to do. I mean, chainsaws uh, make these lines. They cut. They don't cut smoothly. They, you know, they chop up the, the surface of whatever it is that they're cutting. Um, there must be a lot of time that you spend to get rid of all those nicks, plus those natural blemishes. Sometimes those blemishes usually are quite beautiful, but sometimes they're divots and cracks and sometimes vulnerabilities in the wood. You must spend a lot of time on each of these pieces. Yeah, so when I chainsaw milled, you're very right. You're, you're, you're showing your uh, experience with a chainsaw. It, it doesn't, even with, a, even with the bracket system, it doesn't make the smoothest cut. Um, and the, you, know, you only can do a couple slabs before your chain needs to be uh, sharpened. And with a chain that big, it, you really should use a, a mechanical sharpener. Doing it by hand, it doesn't cut it. So now I have a, a big band saw. So I have, a, I have a machine called the Hudson Slabber. Um, and it's a re- it's a dumbed down machine. Doesn't have any hydraulics or anything like that. And I can mill four feet wide um, and sixteen feet long. And this has you know the blade is one hundred and ninety three inches long. It's a giant bandsaw, and that cuts very smooth. Um, so so um, the, if you dry it correctly, uh, stack and sticker it under weight, um, you really don't have to do much planing. Um, you know you can you can sand it to you know, however you like to do. I don't do the planning and sanding myself. Oh, you let the customer view it. I do. Um, and that's part, that's priced into my product. But and a lot usually of... Usually they have to oil it and there's other prep work that they can yeah, do. Yeah, there's finishing. But the nice thing about Live Edge is like, like I don't consider myself an experienced carpenter, but I've made, you know, several pieces. You can do really complicated things with like epoxy and those kinds of things. But you can also, you know, just buy some metal legs and bolt them on and finish it. And now you have a beautiful, unique piece of wood uh, for a fraction of the price of what sold in a big box store that's, you know, a particle board. Okay, so Buzz knows a lot about this. I don't know squat. What it sounds like to me is you have a very large chainsaw that is going after some really large, complicated, difficult pieces of wood. I want to know, is this dangerous? Well, I still got all my fingers and toes. Um, yeah, the chain. So to be clear, I don't chainsaw mill anymore. I still have my chainsaws because I have to cut the logs to, to length. And sometimes a lo- the a tree is too big to even get on my mill. Um, so I'll have to shave part of it on to fit the four foot, uh, you know, width. Um, so is it dangerous? Yeah, it's, I, I would say the most dangerous part of it now is like moving the log onto the mill that's pretty dangerous and then the mill has a vertical a perpendicular 
uh, blade that's that's going to do a lot of the work. Is that true? Yeah. So my mill is basically like this steel box with a with a big bandsaw um, that is at, at a is horizontal. So bandsaw is like a almost like a belt, and I walk I walk the I push the mill on this on these like railroad tracks. So a log sits on the railroad tracks, and you lock in the log with these things called log dogs. And you push the mill across the log, slicing it, uh, you know, like a giant sausage or something, or like a like a piece of um, almost like a piece of French bread. How you'd slice it the long way. Oh, hang on a second. Piece of French bread yeah. just strikes me as a little different than some huge chunk of wood. How how big is the wood? How much does it weigh? So that's so when you so I would say the 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 heaviest stuff I've milled. I milled a red oak that um, a guy brought me. That the log probably weighed thirteen thousand pounds, and it was uh, it's about twelve feet long. Well, then do me a favor. From now on, as long as we talk here, don't refer to thirteen thousand pound pieces of wood as French bread. I mean that analogy. <laughs> that analogy just doesn't work for me. I, I don't know how to tell I get you it. that. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Um, so you, I would. I would I'd mill that, slice it, not like French bread, like a log. <laughs> and uh, red oak r- retains a lot of, it's a dense wood. It retains a lot of water. And these, the slab on there, so a wider the slab, you have to mill it actually thicker in case it actually uh, does what it calls cups. So you could you could plane it. Um, and, uh, and so you'd mill it, and it, the wood would weigh so much that you couldn't even get the slab off of the logs. So we're looking at like three, 400 pounds. So th- that, that's the heaviest. I feel so much better. I'm taking out my fork and a spoon for the syrup. They really are beautiful pieces of wood. We're speaking to, uh, to Nick Simmons, who, when we come back, I want to talk about, well, what's the relationship between teaching our, uh, our future and repurposing wood that was headed for the chipper. We're going to talk with Nick Simmons some more right after this. to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op. Wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Young at Heart dons their dance shoes on November 19th at 3 p.m. as they shake a tail feather with some very special guests in the show, Twist and Crawl. The Academy of Music in Northampton will be bumping and jumping with diverse dance styles. Tap, hip-hop, modern, Irish step, cumbia, salsa, and more. 
featuring songs by Tito Puente, The Slits, The Band, Macy Gray, Rihanna, and so many more. Young at Heart and Twist and Crawl, Sunday, November 19th at 3 p.m. at the Academy of Music in downtown Northampton. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 101.5-1400 WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are continuing our conversation. Um, uh, Nick, I have to ask you, and once again, we're talking about Hadley Millwork, which uh, Nick has created as uh, a, um, a business, which originally was just his interest. Uh, Nick Simmons just loved wood, and he found some wood, and he was playing with some wood, and it turned into a business that's repurposing what was doomed for the chipper uh, into beautiful slabs of wood that people can purchase and make tables, benches, and a thousand other things from. I'm very interested in how a, a teacher of 23 years... Um, oh, I digress for one minute, Bill Newman. Our own Josh Silver, uh, Nick Simmons, uh, played the ultimate Frisbee uh, with Josh Silver for a long time. I guess uh, you're one of those nutcakes, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was. He used to call me a rowdy guy. <laughs> so, rowdy yeah. guy. Yeah. You told me that there's a connection between what you do in, as an educator... And what you do as a mill worker. Could you describe what, how you see that connection? Sure. So I teach, um, I teach at uh, Hopkins Academy, which is a, uh, a public school. It's um, uh, my school 7th through 12th. So I teach uh, middle school and high school classes. So I teach computer science to the middle schoolers and then uh, economics, personal finance, and business law to the high schoolers. And Teaching economics, learning about economics, teaching business, learning about business is different than doing, right? It's, so doing is a whole nother way of learning. And I've, I've always wanted to try my hand at you know, running a, a small business. Um, and the nice thing about running a small business is you can be nimble, whereas a, a school is a, is a giant organization. You know, it's an ocean liner that's going one way or, or another. Um, so... For me, it was a nice balance to be in the woods, in nature, uh, repurposing these logs, seeing the the beauty of the grain. Um, and at the end of the day, I'd have this is back in my chainsaw milling days. I'd you know put a couple slabs in my truck and just this like feeling of like accomplishment. Um, your, your students know about your business. Th they do, yeah. So um, I've actually hired a couple of them in the past to help me with you know, uh, maybe moving some stuff or um, like like former students um, moving stuff or helping me to paint my store or stuff like that. Um, and last year when I was teaching, I used it as an example of like what worked for me for marketing and what didn't. So I could talk about, you know, on a personal scale, uh, what I found useful, everything from customer service to marketing to deciding what products are going to sell, which ones don't. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Well, this, this question comes from uh, being a parent of a couple of kids when I used to tell them about a law case that I was working on 
inevitably they'd come up with a better idea than I did about the, about the case. Did you, did your students generate any ideas about marketing or about your business that were helpful to you? Yeah, I would ask them because um, you know it. In one thing I learned about business is like the stuff that you find attractive in a product may not be like the dominant mar- market. Right. So I would ask them about what they thought about this idea or that idea. So I'd ask them and it wouldn't necessarily be a right or wrong answer. It was just kind of like a like a focus group. Um, now, students aren't really my uh, my market. Um, I do most of my advertising on social media and they have pretty good uh, insights um, to to who clicks on your ads and that kind of stuff, where they live, their age, their gender, that kind of stuff. And I can experiment with different kinds of ads to see different kinds of people clicking on different kinds of ads. Well, here's um, your chance. Radio ad. That's tell right, pe- yeah. Tell people about what you do and why people should be interested in your product. Sure. So Hadley Mill works. I repurpose logs. I uh, cut them into pieces of wood for other people to make stuff. So everything from small charcuterie board pieces and um, uh, like is, you know, listed on my website, you can get started with a small product for, you know, 10 to $20. And I also mill giant pieces of wood, dining room table sizes, bar tops, coffee tables, that kinds of stuff. And one of the cool things about my business is all kinds of people come to me, all all races and walks of life, all ages. Um, and it, it really is cool. And everyone that shows up has like a really good energy. They're like so into it. And that, that energy, as well as like the surprise you get from a log is really addictive. This like positive energy that people bring when they're looking at this stuff. They're so excited, you know. And then they're going to take these large, I'd like to know how large, pieces of wood and they're going to take them home and they are going to finish them into fine furniture is that the basic outline of what what the, what the what the business is and what people do with the wood they buy from you yeah fine and not so fine um because the the nice thing about live edge wood is the barrier to entry is really low so you know i, I have a lot of customers What's, what does that mean live edge oh so live so if you go to like a um like a big box store and you buy like a two by four, okay. it's milled on all six sides. Okay. Whereas live edge, when I when I cut these um these these uh, logs, the sides of the slab still have their natural edge, um, with or without the bark. So it has like an organic, almost like art kind of piece to it. So every piece is unique and every piece has its own character along with the grain, but also the outside of the wood. So live edge pertains to that the sides aren't milled. It's so wholesome. I really love it. It's, it's bringing nature into, uh, throw it into your car and go home and see what you want to do with it. It's really terrific. Well, I wish you a whole lot of luck, Nicholas Simmons. And I want to thank you once again. The best milling you're doing is you're milling our future by educating our children. And your business model is, there it is, live and in color. This is how to do it and how to use something that was doomed for the chipper and make something beautiful out of it. Thank you for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And if anyone out there is is interested in contacting me, um, my website's hadleymillworks.com. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks a lot for having me again, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Terrific. Our pleasure. Well, it is um, it's a, at 11... 11 at 11 a.m., a 
truce and armistice was signed in 1918. Today is Veterans Day. We're going to be looking at a very special screening at Amherst Cinema of Vietnam, the special agents with the producers and directors of that extraordinary film. We'll be right back after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A proposal for prescription drug price caps was introduced by Senate Democrats and is expected to be brought to the floor by Thanksgiving. The legislation would cap out-of-pocket costs for some popular name-brand medications at $25, and generic versions would be capped at zero, requiring insurers to cover the remainder of the medication costs. For the first time in 20 years, a Massachusetts governor has introduced a comprehensive and expansive legislative package dedicated to veteran welfare. The HERO Act was filed by Governor Maura Healey yesterday to increase benefits, modernize services, and promote inclusivity for Massachusetts veterans. The Holyoke Police Department, in collaboration with federal and state agencies, executed a successful operation as part of the Operation Safe Streets initiative on Wednesday. The operation targeted an alleged narcotics distribution center at 174 High Street, Apartment 311, in response to community concerns about open-air drug activities impacting local businesses. Four individuals were arrested on various charges related to drug trafficking, firearm possession, and resisting arrest. Residents who want to check out the new Williamsburg Public Safety Complex will have an opportunity tomorrow. A guided tour of the $5.3 million, 11,000-square-foot building is being offered from noon until 2 p.m. The building inspector issued a certificate of occupancy to the town Thursday, and Fred Snyder, a general contractor from Forrest Construction, tells the Gazette his work will be done by the end of next week. Town Administrator Nick Kikamo said the police and fire departments are aiming for a January 1st move-in date. For today, it'll be mostly cloudy and milder. Highs 50 to 54. Tonight, partly cloudy. Overnight lows 30 to 34. And the outlook for Saturday, mostly sunny. Highs in the mid and upper 40s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. This Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m., Ruth Ann Lundeberg, hypnotherapist, releases certificates on the Shop 30 store. If you're feeling anxious, want to stop smoking, eat less, or drink less, whatever's got you stuck, Ruth Ann can help you get unstuck. Hypnosis has been around for thousands of years because it works. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Ruth Ann Lundeberg, hypnotherapist. Available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Your pet isn't just a pet, they're part of your family. Most of the pet food on the market is cooked at high temperatures, which kills nutrients. A scoop of Dynavite is a three-in-one daily supplement, adding back key nutrients to your pup's health. Try Dynavite for free. Just pay shipping and handling. Learn more at D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com slash radio. That's Dynavite.com slash radio. 
Happier, healthier with every bite. Over a million pets helped with Dinovite. At Simply Safe Home Security, your safety is the only thing that matters. That's why you get 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Because every home deserves to be protected. Right now, get 50% off the whole home security system named the best of 2023 by U.S. News and World Report. Visit simplysafe.com radio to save big today. Advanced Home Security, 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. It was 1954 when what was then Armistice Day was named Veterans Day. And uh, today is Veterans Day, November 11th. And um, it is a very appropriate time to revisit a film. I erroneously said the special agent. It is Vietnam, the secret agent. There's going to be a very special screening at Amherst Cinema. And with us to talk about it is um, director Jackie Oakes of Vietnam, the secret agent, and producer and editor Dan Keller. Welcome to both of you. Let me start with you, Jackie. First, <laughs> tell us what is, uh, what, what's a brewing at Amherst Cinema in terms of Vietnam, the secret agent. Well, we um, recently restored this film, which was released in 1983 and 84 to uh, huge acclaim. Actually, it had a big theatrical release, was opened at uh, New York Film Festival and received a special jury prize from uh, Sundance. Um, it's uh, the restoration is spectacular because the technology has changed so much that we were able to actually enhance the film. And we thought veteran around Veterans Day would be a good time to release this new version. Um, it's also uh, remarkably evergreen, as we like to say, in the film world. Um, so many issues that are raised in the film um, sort of bearing witness to a lot of things that are still happening. And uh, we wanted to um, raise awareness about um, generally how, how veterans have been treated historically by the United States government and, you know, just bring those issues back up again, especially with what's going on right now in the world and this escalation of war activity. Yeah, it, it is just so very timely for that reason that um, we look again at this important film. And it, The Secret Agent was the first really comprehensive look at the history and the uh, consequence of the herbicides. Uh, I can't give you technical names, but I know that dioxin, which is at the heart of these uh, what we called Agent Orange, um, is a horrific toxin. The toll that it takes, and you mentioned what it, the toll that it's taken on, on troops, on human beings, but on uh, there were millions of gallons poured on, onto jungles and, and what it did to the planet. And as you say, just take a look at what's going on with Gaza, take a look at what's going on in the Ukraine, and we see, and of course in Israel, just um, 
We don't seem to learn our lessons. I want to turn to you, Dan Keller. Talk about, I, I am particularly interested in um, what motivated you to make this film back when you made this film. Jackie and I were both uh, radical, radical anti-war advocates. We were opposed to the war, and we acted against it as much as we could. But we supported the veterans, and uh, that's why it's appropriate to have this film showing around this time. Uh, I had several friends who went to Vietnam. I supported them 100%. I supported the vets when they came back. Uh, we felt our hearts were with them even though their actions were uh, not something we would have done. So the important thing was to support them because they were coming back injured. And the film that we made was to support the veterans, uh, raise awareness about the health effects that they were having and the health effects that their children were having. Dioxin is a terribly powerful chemical. Uh, and that's why it's appropriate that the film is reopening now is because these issues are still with us. Dioxin is still contaminating Vietnam. It hangs on through many generations of deformed children. Deformed children are still being born in Vietnam and in the United States. The veterans that were in our film uh, suffering from Agent Orange, uh, none of them are with us now. They've all passed away early. But there are still seven million veterans from Vietnam alive in this country, and they still need to be taken care of. Thankfully, the VA, VA has recognized the, the destruction of Agent Orange and is compensating for it, but the children are not being compensated, and the children stretch through many generations. So now is the time for all of us to urge the VA to support the children uh, with financial aid and to do something about the ongoing catastrophe of the chemical, which is still exacting a toll on the country. There are still unexploded ordnance in Vietnam that are still going off. The dioxin is still contaminating, and it's going through all these generations. So now's the time to step up and see if we can do something about it. Filmmaker Jackie Oakes, um, when we go to Amherst Cinema and we see the screening, um, and I think you're going to be there along with Dan Keller in a, to actually talk to the viewers who are screening uh, Vietnam, the secret agent. Um, what are we going to see in terms of, let's talk about the consequence to the veterans. What, what are we going to learn when we walk out of the theater? What will we have been introduced to by watching in terms of the damage done, the injury done to our vets? Well, um, there, there are multiple, uh, there are multiple problems amongst the veterans um, and amongst all of us who are exposed to dioxin. Uh, there are cancers. There's uh, deformity. There are miscarriages. Um, their their uh, whole system immune breakdown. There is a a, a litany of 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 damage, which um, every year since the Vietnam War, every few years, the Congress has added a number of consequences um, into the VA legislation in terms of, of supporting the veterans. 
to the point that recently, um, in at the end of 22 and enacted in, in 23, uh, Congress enacted an, a broad uh, legislation called the PACT Act and pulled in the Iraq veterans and the Afghani veterans and the Somali, all the uh, more current um, uh, conflicts that our soldiers have been uh, exposed to because the army uh, started using burn pits in, in some of these countries because they couldn't get rid of the waste fast enough. So, um, the, the damage continues. Um, no lesson has been learned in terms of, of, of how uh, process, processes are executed during wartime. And, and it's also important to recognize that um, some of these chemicals are being used domestically. So we, we have um, sort of these consequences we can't even like imagine because because dioxin is so insidious it 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 can penetrate your system and and live inside your fat tissue for a long time and and cause all kinds of damages uh i mean i hate to be sort of alarmist but it's something that we all need to recognize about what we're doing to the environment and executing having more care about the way we use chemistries moving yeah. forward i don't feel there's anything alarmist in it it's something that we all should be aware of the i think it's going to be monday and on november 13th is that correct at sure. amherst cinema at seven o'clock um there will be a screening of the 1984 super important film vietnam the secret agent and then there's going to be a post-screening panel conversation i think the film is about an hour long and then jackie oaks the producer director dan keller the producer editor uh, Mishitaki Aso, who's an associate professor in the Department of History at the University of Alabama, and Bruce Dobson, who's a U.S. Air Force uh, member of Vietnam Veterans of America, will be on a panel. It will be moderated by Christian Appy, uh, who's often on our program. He's the director of the Ellsberg Initiative for Peace and Democracy, and he, too, is a professor of history at UMass Amherst. He will be moderating this panel um, when I believe there will be a Q&A as well so the people who are attending the screening will be able to watch it. We're going to take a break and we're going to continue our conversation, uh, a really important conversation, particularly on Veterans Day when two horrific wars are uh, ongoing in the world. Jackie Oaks and Dan Keller will be right back. There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen, they drink my wine Plowmen dig my earth None of them along the line Know what any of it is worth More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400 
Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Hi, this is Mike Cherry, manager of Greenfield Savings Bank's newly renovated Northampton branch at 325A King Street. Please join us Monday, November 13th through Saturday, November 18th for a week-long celebration for our grand reopening. Our new lobby features newly designed teller stations and a state-of-the-art technology bar where customers can access their online or mobile banking, sign up for additional services and account benefits, and access financial education and fraud prevention information. There is also an area for children where they can play financial literacy games. Plus, we have specials on CDs, daily prize drawings, food, and more. Looking forward to seeing you there. Join the week-long reopening celebration of the newly renovated Greenfield Savings Bank Northampton branch at 325A King Street, November 13th through November 18th. No purchase necessary and GSB account not required to win daily drawings. Member FDIC, member DIF. Greenfieldsavings.com. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back. We are talking with Dan Keller, who is a producer and editor, and Jackie Oakes, who is a producer and director of Vietnam, the special, the secret agent. It's the second time I've done that. The secret agent, which was uh, uh, produced by them, uh, an extraordinary, powerful film from 1984 that is going to be screened on Monday, uh, this coming Monday, the 13th at 7 o'clock at Amherst Cinema. is free to Amherst Cinema members, and it um, it's well worth the price for those who aren't members. Um, it's at 7 o'clock. There's going to be a wonderful panel. Jackie and Dan will be on the panel along with uh, Professor Mitch Takiaso from the History Department in Albany and Bruce Dobson, a U.S. Air Force member of Vietnam Veterans of America. During the break, I was asking you, Jackie, um, about the... You, could you tell us about the PACS Act? What is it and why we should support it? So the PACT Act um, was the legislation which was recently passed at the end of uh, 2022 and went into effect in 2023. There have been incrementally over the years various groups of veterans who have claimed that they were exposed to Agent Orange and had to fight to get recognized for that. Following that, there were Iraq, soldiers returning from Iraq and Afghanistan and Somalia who were also starting to have horrible health effects, which turned out to be the result of their exposure to these massive burn pits that were used um, in these other con conflicts on the, uh, you know, on the bases where the soldiers were living 
millions of tons of garbage was burned in open, open burn pits on a daily basis and they were exposed to the air and so were the local people that were working on the bases. So um, there has been a, a, a kind of joining of those, all those issues, all those health issues related to veterans encapsulated into an overall piece of legislation called the PACT Act. And many veterans have been turned away or turned off uh, from healthcare at the Veterans Administration. But I think it's important with this new legislation and the seriousness on the part of the current administration to help veterans that veterans turn back to the Veterans Administration and look into what their rights are through this new legislation. Indeed. Dan Keller, I think I first met you about the same time the Mayflower landed, I think. <laughs> but uh, you have been a, your adult life has been spent in activism. So uh, for those listeners who really want to do something, what can they do? What do you urge them to do? Write your congressperson. Call them up. Use the telephone. Uh, if you have any contacts with the Veterans Administration or know anybody in that department, let them know. But uh, I think the, the pressure's got to be put on from the ground floor. As a filmmaker, I think I was just looking, 11 million gallons is the estimate of how much Agent Orange, how much dioxin was poured into the, uh, the earth right, and the trees that grow on it, et cetera, in order to fight this war against unseen opponents who we wanted to be able to see from the air, right? It's just a horrific... Are awful thing. The damage was not only to the earth, the damage, damage, the injury to persons is unspeakable. You said those who suffered from Agent, Agent Orange, they're all gone. Well, the ones in our film are all gone, but there's still 7 million living Vietnam vets, and many of them might well be still suffering from Agent Orange or dioxin contamination. Uh, in our film, yes. Vietnam, the Secret Agent, uh, we have a lot of scientific information, including uh, several experts in the field of toxicology, and they point out that this dioxin stuff is pretty unusual. Uh, it can contaminate things uh, down to a microscopic level. It's very, very powerful. One part per trillion is enough to cause serious damage, and uh, rarely are chemicals around that uh, cause this kind of damage at such a low dose. And of course, it was created by people. Uh, that's why it's so unique and diabolical. It was created by Dow Chemical, and they knew of its danger. They did, and they didn't tell. For those of our listeners who are just joining us, the secret agent is the chemical agent that was kept secret from the American people, from the troops on the ground from all of us, and it was a national uh, catastrophe that was perpetrated by Dow Chemical. I would like to ask you both this. You're both, and you were both, anti-war activists, and there was a lot of hostility from the anti-war movement. I'm not taking any pride in this, but there was for troops, and they came home, and we've all heard the stories of their reception when they came home, and yet you saw your way clear to make this powerful and important film about how 
the vets suffered due to their service in Vietnam. And I'm wondering what brought you to that story and that understanding. We start with you, Dan, and then we'll go to, to you, Jackie. Right. Good question. Uh, the fact is that I had friends who went to Vietnam, the friends that I loved that were dear to me, and I supported them and, and wished them well and hoped they made it back alive. When they did come back, we were very happy to see them. Uh, I think a lot of the negative feelings about vets coming back from Vietnam were a creation of the media. I don't think there were that many people that actually blamed the veterans for the war and what was going on. The talk of baby killers, quote-unquote, I never heard that from anyone who was against the war and the anti-war movement. We were all supporting the troops. We all had friends who fought there. We were supporting them. We hoped they did better, and that's why we made this film, because we had friends who were coming back who were sick with chloracne, this horrible rash that covers the whole body. And that's just the beginning of all these symptoms that started piling up. So uh, that's what we wanted to expose in making the film and get some recognition for it, number one, which the VA finally has decided that it should be recognized, but number two, to keep it going and let's do something about the children. Jackie Oaks, you want to add to what Dan Keller just said? Um, yeah, I just, I, I guess um, as an anti-war activist, um, you know, I was r rabidly against the war, but... Um, the, uh, we came to this story through, um, I, I was introduced to a veteran, a friend of a friend, and he told me about their suspicions. The veterans were just starting to suspect that they were exposed to something toxic that was affecting them. And I realized that um, the story was kind of this per perfect triangle of, um, you know, individuals, the government and, and corporations, and it was uh, the military industrial complex. So, um, and I, and I honestly, I felt guilty about the way the veterans felt, uh, were treated when they got, came back. So I really felt compelled to into this story well the name of the film is vietnam the secret agent the screening will take place at beloved Amher cinema on monday the 13th at seven o'clock there will be a panel which will include dan and jackie and also mishitaka aso the uh, professor of history from albany and bruce dobson um it is filled with interviews of veterans and scientists and attorneys and Air Force people, and it is a really important film. Here it is on, 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 on Veterans Day today, and we have horrific wars raging, and both our veterans and our planet are suffering as a result, not to mention all those unfortunate citizens of those countries. So um, please, Monday. Go see the film. I really want to thank you for what you did in 1984 and continue to do, Jackie Oaks, and you, Dan Keller, and you listeners for joining us today on Talk the Talk. Remember, like these two, don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk.
Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. Are you an educator? Want to be more confident teaching about environmental issues? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst offers hundreds of curriculum units, lesson plans, classroom activities, and professional development workshops for K-12 teachers. Come check us out. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI.